Well, good morning, and I hope you had a, a good Thanksgiving, and uh, I was thinking that uh, we were sharing around the, the table a bit, and uh, just different challenges that our family has had, and and my guess is that if you think about it, there's different things that over the last year, like, yeah, that was kind of hard, and and that, and and yet, uh, we're here. God has saw us through that. Uh, but I would say it this way: that that God is good, even when there's things that come up that don't come out the way you expect. And so, uh, I'm just thankful this year. Uh, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross that we might believe in Him. And be saved of our sins and saved for eternal life. And so uh, I want to uh, thank the Lord for that this morning. Uh, we are continuing talking about our, our attitude and that our attitude should be the same as Jesus, right? What does it mean to have an attitude like Jesus? And specifically today, we're talking about obeying. Right, that you would have an attitude that first and foremost would say, yes, I'll do what you're saying I ought to do. And, and what's interesting, I, I'm a, a, a dad of three kids, and they're all different. And at different times, they respond when you say, here's what I need you to do. There's times when their first thought is, well, yeah, of course. And then there's other times where their first thought is, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. And maybe they'll pretend like they didn't hear me or they'll make an excuse or I'll get to it or, or all of those kinds of things. Uh, but obedience matters, right? If we're going to have the same attitude like Jesus, we're going to have to have an attitude where we're going to be obedient. We're going to have to obey. Rebellion is, is considered uh, a rite of passage in our culture. It's, it's celebrated. Uh, how often do you see movies uh, about a character that follows the rules, right? Uh, I was thinking about that, what, that, all the movies that are kind of set up to rebelling and not doing what we're supposed to, uh, rebel without a cause, uh, I actually realized that Rebel Without a Cause and the movie Shane, the Western, same plot. I didn't realize that till today. Uh, basically, it's the hero or anti-hero that is trying to start over, but his past keeps catching up and his inclination to not uh, follow along. And then there's the, the breakfast club. You know, the breakfast club, the whole thing is that they're in Saturday detention because they did something wrong. And, and it's kind of this, this dialogue between the characters that, that's really all about the ones who want to do what they're supposed to do are getting made fun of, right? Why would you ever do what your parents want you to do? And that's kind of the message of the story, them trying to figure out about themselves. They don't have to obey, not necessarily the best message, but there it is. And then, um, you know what? There is no dead poet society for obedience, right? They don't quote British poetry while doing what they're told to do. The whole point is that they're trying to look at things differently 
and not go along with the flow. And yet obedience is so important and so vital to our, our functioning as a society and certainly our functioning as a church, right? There's a point at which we have to say, this is what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus set the example. I want to read that passage we've been reading each week in Philippians 2. Uh, again, starting in verse 5, make your own attitude that of Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. In our thinking like Jesus and having the same attitude of being of the same mind. It's not going to be easy, right? If we're going to be obedient, there's going to be times when it's hard. In verse eight for Jesus, it says he humbled himself becoming obedient even to the point of death, right? It wasn't an easy obedience. It was a hard obedience even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so we're to do what is right, even when it's hard. And that's the heart of obedience to God. Even when it's hard, we still do what we're supposed to do. Anyone can obey when it's easy. Will you eat the last Krispy Kreme donut? Well, okay, since you asked, right? That's easy to do. What it's hard. Jesus obeyed to the point of death. On that Thursday night, when Judas uh, came with the guards and Jesus was arrested, that day he was praying in the garden. In Matthew 26, 39, it says, in going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? That's a, a picture of obedience. It's not Jesus saying, I am so looking forward to torture. I am so looking forward to the cross. Right? That's not what he's saying. He's going, this is not what I want. But it's necessary. It's essential. It's the only way for us to be saved that Jesus was willing to do it in obedience and love, and love for us. So there's five areas that I want to kind of look at where we're to obey. So first of all, we're to obey God's plan for our lives, right? God has a plan for you that uh, it's kind of surprising, I think, 
that the creator of the universe didn't just set everything in motion and then step back and and watch from a distance. He literally has a plan for each one of our lives. And yet, because we value our independence, our freedom, our choice, we think, how dare anyone can tell me what I can't do, right? In our culture, the, the right to personal autonomy is paramount. We believe that we should have the only say in the choices that we make. This is, it's actually a, a really new view of life. Because of our understanding of freedom. In fact, you could go back just a few decades, not just in this country, but all over the world. People wouldn't think of the goal of their life to make their own choices. They wouldn't say, that's what's paramount in my life. They would have other uh, priorities for their life. Yet in in our culture, we think, no, the most important, the, the highest good in our culture is that I choose what I want for me. And yet it is so essential that as we grow and mature in faith, that it's not what we do for ourselves. It's what we do in obedience to God that matters. In Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Right? There's this idea. This specifically to Jeremiah, but it's this picture that that God has a plan for us. And it's a, a plan of prosperity. Now, here's the hard part. We don't get to, to define prosperity. Right? What does it mean if I'm going to be prosperous? It is specifically prosperity is us doing what God wants us to do. That's being prosperous. But that's going to look very different than prosperity when others get to decide, right? Prosperity tends to look like the the fancy car and the nice house and the the impressive job and and the fancy clothes and the, the electronics and all of those things. People say that's prosperity. And yet, my understanding when I read God's word is that prosperity will be defined on that day when we stand before the Lord in judgment. Then he either looks down and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, that's going to be the difference. And it's going to be based in our relationship with him. So we're to seek God because he has a plan for our lives. Uh, You may have have seen the video. There was a woman, she talks about how she was suing her parents uh, because she never gave consent to be born. here's, Here's the quote. I never asked to be born. I shouldn't be forced to do anything, right? Like I didn't have a choice. I didn't have the choice to not be born. And so I'm actually trying to sue my parents for giving birth to me without asking my permission. (laughs) Now, this TikTok video 
is satire. Uh, Some people missed that, though, and really got upset, like, this doesn't even make sense. But it was satire, uh, especially because she followed it up with another video saying, and I won $5,000 a month for the rest of my life from my parents. And then people were like, wait, what? And then she, she had to then go, okay, look, I was kidding the whole time. Didn't you catch the irony? But people didn't. The sentiment, though, seems to zero in on the idea that the only valid life is one where I decide. And that if I didn't decide, then, then it doesn't have the same value. And see, that's really missing the point. It would be similar to that, that story. I've said it a couple of different times, right? Someone gives you something for free, right? It, it's totally for free. And your thought is, but I didn't choose the color, right? You see, if we don't get to choose, does it have the same value? And yet it's a free gift, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But I didn't choose that he would die for me. See, that doesn't make sense. There's a disconnect in logic. All right, so there we are. We're, we're told if God has a plan for us, we're to follow that plan. We're to obey. I like what James says, and this actually takes us to the second area as well. James 1, 22 through 24, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. It's that that idea that I I could hear and read the word and listen to the music and and say, and walk away today and go, well, I did church, so I must be holier now than when I got up this morning. And yet, James is saying, look, don't just hear it, do it. That's the difference. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves uh, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in the doing. <laughs> that, that imagery is, is uh, intense, that, that you could hear God's word, that, that it would be like that, uh, that experience where you're, you're, you're listening to the music and you're like, I, I've. I feel like I'm worshiping God, right? We're in God's presence. Scripture says where two or more are gathered, there we are in his place. And, and it feels like that, but then walk away and totally forget. Well, I don't feel like that now, right? I don't feel the same way now. So, so is God as real as he was 30 minutes ago when we were singing about him? Of course he is. And yet there are people that then don't do what he says, because it doesn't feel the same. We're to do what God tells us to do. And the good news is that he made us to know what is good and what is right. 
And then we need God's help to do it. So, so God built into all of us this understanding, right? Unless there is some psychosis going on, we have an understanding of, of right and wrong. It's the doing that's the hard part. And then he further elaborates by giving us his revealed word, the Bible. That on the reading and the studying and the doing, we become more like Jesus. That's that second area. We're to obey the commands of righteousness we learn in the Bible. Right? If this is God's word says, if God's word says do it, then we're to do it. We have to know the Bible in order to do that. And then as we read in James, we, we do what it says, right? So we study it, we learn it, and then we do it. That's why Jesus said, this is recorded in John 14, uh, 15 and 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. And then skipping down to verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he... Uh, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's that, that idea that, that you have the commandments. Are you going to then do them? If you do, that's a demonstration of love. So what's a command? Right? It's an authoritative order. And a command then is a divine rule, an authoritative commandment to do what God says. So then John goes uh, further in his epistle, uh, 1 John 3.24, whoever keeps my commandments abides in God. And God is in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. There, there's this idea. It wasn't that I, I went to church. I learned something about it. I went through the class the church had. I signed on the dotted line. I got baptized. <clears throat> I show up, right? I go to church. That's not what it means. He says, look, if you know the commandments and you do them, there's a connection between those. Right? There's a connection between doing what you know you're supposed to do and what God says is right. And that if you are uh, a lover of God, then you, you attempt, you try, you do your best to do what he says to do. I, I qualified it on purpose because it doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly or right all the time. But you're going to do your best to do what you know you're supposed to do. And then Peter, the way he says it, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I'm holy. All right, so now we're using a different word basically to describe the same thing, right? To be holy means to be like Jesus in this context, right? So there's no excuse for not knowing what the rules are. Like, like the saying, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You will still get a ticket just because, just because you didn't see the speed limit sign, you will still get a ticket. The first ticket I ever got, I saw the speed limit sign. I slowed down, cop pulled out, pulled me over. 
And he said, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, I do. I saw the speed limit sign said 35 and I was going 45. I didn't realize. He goes, that was the second speed limit sign. Like, oh, I already passed one. So I missed that. It wasn't an excuse that I didn't know. I still got the ticket, right? So just because there's a point at which you go, well, I didn't know what I should do in that situation is no excuse. You have a responsibility to know. Uh, A friend of mine, a pastor friend, uh, spent time teaching me about evangelism. and, and, And it was very important to me. I wanted to know how did he go and share his faith with people? And he said he often asked one question. If God is real, what is it he expects of you? You see, because a lot of people, they don't want to deal with that question. They don't want to ask the question, what does God want from me? Right? We tend to not evaluate what we're doing, why we're doing it. But look, I think the evidence that God is real is unquestionable. There is just too much evidence. There is scientific evidence. There is historical evidence. There is certainly uh, social evidence and miraculous and providential functioning of his spirit. There is there's too much evidence that God is there for us to go, yeah, I'm not so sure. So if God is there, if God is real, what does he want from you? And it doesn't make sense to not ask. So there is no excuse. Three, we're also to obey our parents. This gets a little more difficult when you get older, right? That as you age, it's, it's more difficult then to go, well, I'm supposed to obey my parents now. I was at the car wash this week and, and uh, the, the guy that was uh, selling us the car wash we got talking about kids because I was there with my son and he, and he said, uh, telling me about his, and he says, I just wish my parents were still around. And he was an older gentleman. I said, well, my parents are still around. He says, you need to appreciate them more. And he didn't know that I didn't appreciate them. He just defaulted to, I know now that I wish I had appreciated my parents more when they were around. He said, you need to do that now while you can. I said, wow, okay. I take that seriously. You realize that there's, there's, we're supposed to obey our parents. That's how we honor them. Well, the younger you are, it makes sense. So, so let's not miss kind of the intention of what the commandment says. And this is in Ephesians 6. Paul says it this way. Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So this is very much about understanding that your parents know things that you don't know. So you learn from them. They care for you and they know stuff. It seems like a good mix, right? This isn't people that know stuff and don't care for you. This isn't people that that care for you and don't know things. This is like the perfect storm. 
And so there's a promise that goes along with it. Uh, I remembered preparing for today a, a sketch from Saturday Night Live. I do not stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. But back in the 90s, there was a sketch. And so I looked it up to make sure I was remembering it correctly. Uh, the sketch, it was called The Middle-Aged Man. And uh, he was a superhero. And his superhero abilities came from him being a middle-aged man. And so he would say things like, that's right, I'm here to help because I understand how escrow works. Uh, he says, I know how to change a tire on a car, right? There's just all these things that are just fairly obvious that as you get older, you learn to do and you understand how things work. And it always, that, that sketch stuck with me because I saw it right after my wife and I bought our first house. And I was sure that in the middle of that, that, that people who ran the title company had never done it before. Because it just seemed like they would call you up at the last minute and go, I need this now within the next hour. And you're like, why did you not know this for the last month where it would have been easy to get? And I said, well, how many of these do, do you do? And they're like, well, our, our name is the first American title company, right? I assume we've done a few. Well, then why don't you know how to do this? Well, because there's so much going on that I don't know about, right? I didn't understand it. Because the older you get, the more you learn these things. You learn these things by experience. You're supposed to listen to your parents because they care for you. And there's things they know that you don't know yet. In Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teachings. Right? You're supposed to keep the commandments and do what you know you're to do. You're to listen to their advice. Number four. We're to obey church leaders. This is a tough one sometimes. Because like I said last week, we've been trained to be consumers. And so we start to think that way all the time, even at church. When the church does something I don't like, I complain. When the pastor says something I don't like, I leave and find a church where they're going to tell me things I do like. That's more comfortable. It's not as awkward. Yet, we read in Scripture so often how important it is to listen, to obey those that God has put in positions of leadership. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I believe very strongly in this. That when God places someone in a position of authority over you within the church, that you're supposed to make it easy for them to lead. Because there will be a point at which they'll stand before God and give a justification for their leading of you. Don't make it hard on them. Make it easier. And then... Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
right? Those that are working hard for you, you need to esteem them, he says. The work that people do to serve the church should be valued. Let them know how you appreciate what they do for you. And then number five, uh, we're to obey those in authority, right? This might very well be the government, uh, the police, and, and provided they're not telling you to do something contrary to what God has already told us to do. This was very much an issue in 2020 and 21. Uh, and as the, the writers of Hebrew said, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But there were churches that were told you can't meet, right? Depending on what city you were in and what county and state and things like that. And the pastors, church leaders, they were left to decide if it was a reasonable precaution or governmental overreach. And the hard part is it may have been both, right? And so you had to decide what were you going to do? I tried to explain this to my church at the time, how often I got people that would call me and email me and text me and they would complain what the church was doing and then what the church wasn't doing and they were in direct conflict. So I would just explain to everybody, there was no way to make everybody happy here. We were trying to honor God as best we could, but we need to do more. We need to do less. We need, yeah, I know. No, we need to honor God first. And so this is what Paul wrote about uh, obeying authority when it comes to the government in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resist the authorities, resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to those, uh, terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in sub subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to the very thing. Pay to all... What is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. But Paul didn't really understand our culture, did he? He didn't know our government. He didn't know the city we live in and the, the state and certainly the United States. And he didn't understand the, the, the culture and the, the technology, right? He didn't understand my situation with my boss. He didn't know my situation at school. Paul wrote a church, uh, sorry, Paul wrote a letter to a church in Rome of the Roman Empire. He said the same thing to the church in Rome that he said to the church in 
the occupied land of Israel. It was occupied by the Roman Empire. He said, listen up. Let every person be in subjection to the authority of the church. Or sorry, to the authority of of the government. And I believe verse 3 and 4 are essential to whether a government is valid or not. Okay, so here it is. You want to know what the point of the government is. Paul says it. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. The job of the church is to be a terror to those who do evil. And in verse 4, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. That's the job of the church. For he is a servant of God, an avenger. You didn't know the avengers were in the Bible, but there it is. A valid government is to be a terror to those who do evil. And so we are to support the government in that endeavor. So we're to obey. Until those come in conflict directly with what God says. In any one of those five then you have to kind of negotiate. uh, When that happens. Because it will. Right? There will be a time when one of those people you're supposed to obey says do this. And you go but that's in conflict with what these say. And that's why God gave us the church. So that we have godly people who have gone before us with experience that could say, here's what I recommend. Right? So for the, uh, the young man that, that made a decision to follow Christ and wanted to get baptized, but his parents said, no. How do you handle that? Right? These are hard things. Because they seem to be in conflict. And yet, I want to honor God. But I need to honor my parents and obey. Right? And that's just the first example. That's why God gave us the church. Because we do this together. And then, uh, look, we are to obey the Lord with the first mission of the church. And I've, I've read this so many times because I can't get that point uh, across enough. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility. And it's right there in Matthew 28. Starting in verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the job of the church. It's the job of every believer. We need to obey God first in that. I have some next steps today. Uh, first of all, uh, that my next step would be to reflect on the areas of my life. I've not been following God's plan, right? Is there something that, you know, God's asked you to do and you're like, I haven't done that. I've been afraid. Uh, I haven't wanted to do it. Then today's the time to make that change to obedience. Today's the day to say, yes, I'm going to do it to honor you. Uh, second, uh, my st- Next step today is to trust Jesus for the first time, to forgive me of my sins and save me, right? That today could be the day. And so it's not a big mystery on how you do it. You just tell God, God, please save me. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. 
And then you, you tell someone, tell someone in the church and they can help you with that. And then the last one there, uh, commit to an attitude of obedience that you would say, you know what? Yes, I'm going to, to first respond in obedience instead of that natural inclination to respond in maybe an adversarial manner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning that we can be here together in your name. That we can reflect on what obedience means. That we can uh, publicly celebrate you, worship you. Lord, I pray that as we uh, head into Christmas, we would understand the importance of making disciples and telling people the good news of your gospel. Help us do it with boldness and excitement and love. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for. But most of all, we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.